Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper, and I am sitting in a beautiful spot right now out in the Ozarks. I'm not going to tell you the exact spot. That's kind of like giving up your favorite uh, fishing spot, but uh, sitting in a beautiful little cabin here with Sam Potter. Many of you probably know Sam. He's been around for quite a while. I don't think he's as old as me, but... Sam has oh, been around quite a while. I'm older than you think I am. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, Sam, you're still in great shape. But Sam has a tight line guide service, and uh, many of you have probably seen him floating down the Ozark Stream with clients that come from, well, all over. All over. Yep. You, yep. you were telling me just a week or so ago, I think, in our text conversations that you'd had uh, – uh, clients from out of country oh yeah got yeah. stuck in the i've had uh, clients from poland and germany and italy uh germany ireland japan wow just yeah everywhere hawaii to alaska to nova scotia well all i can say sam you must be doing something right <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you uh You've been guiding for how long now? Uh, 17 years now. 17 years. Uh-huh. Now, you did a career of what is this? I was in education for, I, that's for 36 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Science teacher, maybe? Uh, no. Really? I, I was not. Uh, <laughs> I finished my career in computer applications. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm, I'm a little bit envious, you know. My computer skills still are not great. Uh, now, I actually worked on a, just a terminal when I was working on my thesis for my master's degree uh it was just a keyboard you know and the computer was umpteen blocks away and <laughs> filled a, a room almost as big as this cabin oh, one, yeah, one yeah. computer yeah they used to be big as this refrigerator right oh there. yeah i yeah. can remember when they were oh, yeah. literally a lot bigger than that yeah but i went into the military and first thing it offered me was 18 months of computer school and i said i don't think i want to do that i didn't want to do that <laughs> Might have been a bad call. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he actually had more in a phone right now than he did in, in those things. It, it's amazing, isn't it? It, it really is. And the thing is, uh, you know better than me that you just get used to an apparatus and, and uh, it's outdated. Uh, that's true. That's yeah, true. It, it doesn't take long. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's hard to keep up. I mean, they, they oh, come up I, with a new about, phone you know, every few months now. Yeah, I, I'm know. just about giving up on, on, on trying to keep up what uh, I do. I, I rely up. on my grandkids a lot. Yeah. It, they start about with computers, I guess, in kindergarten anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kids kids grow up with it now. They, you know, just all that's part of their life. They, they don't think anything about uh, doing whatever you, you know, what we wouldn't even thought about doing a few years ago. You know, the, the little kids, they just fly right through it. Like they nothing. really, really do. But as an educator, i got to ask you this. I'm always, you know, you know, being in the business, Sam, I get to talk to a lot of different people. And it's 
astounds me sometimes that, uh, you know, it's a group of outdoorsmen, really a varied group of uh, people that come from all kinds of disciplines. But as, as an educator in all the electronics, you think it's a good or a bad thing or in, oh. indifferent? Or? <laughs> well, I, I've been out of it a long time. I, you know, uh, nowadays it's it's just that's just part of the curriculum. You know, uh, as when they went through the COVID thing, when kids had to stay home, that's that's how the kids were learning. You know, so yeah. it's a it's a huge part of education nowadays. It, it really is. Yeah. It, of course, I'm seventy three years old, and I'm always just trying to figure things out. But I, I was out on a uh, trail at Merrimack State Park uh, a couple of weekends ago over the Christmas break a 12 year old grandson of mine had come down from St. Charles and I always try to have outdoor activities planned for him he always brings a little buddy with him so we decided we was going to go hiking well at Merrimack State Park there's a lot of wild country there and most of those trails are not marked or maintained you know so uh, we went to Hamilton Ironworks and there's a half mile trail around it and it's Pretty simple and easy to walk. But I'd read about a trail that went up Hamilton Hollow, about three miles, I think, uh, all the way to the Merrimack River. And then there was a Green's Cave up the river we were going to try to find. Well, I'd kind of been warned through reviews that that trail uh, got a little faint at times. <laughs> and I've, I've done a lot of hiking and backpacking. I thought, surely I can just follow the creek, you know, and, and the boys kept getting worried about uh i think we're lost you know where's the trail and some places found out you'd see a half a dozen different trails where people literally just took a little you know wanted to cut a little distance off or go around an obstacle or whatever but we ran into another party and one of them was a state park employee there he helped us out a little bit uh, directed us to a spring we got to see and the boys were getting tucker out a little bit and we still hadn't reached the merrimack river and uh I tried to talk them in to keep going, but uh, I, I think they were wanting to get back to their electronics. Uh-huh. Thinking uh-huh. Exactly what was going on. So we didn't quite make it to the Merrimack River. But uh, after they left, I, I was it just curiosity was just killing me because I wanted to make it to that cave. Green Cave is supposed to have one of the largest openings west of the Mississippi River. Pretty good sized cave. Wow. And still open to the public. I think they got a sign up kind of asking people to maybe not go in because of the brown bats. Because of the bats. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they don't have it gated. Uh, anyway, I vowed I'm going back and I'm going to find it if I have to go by myself. But uh, long story short, what I'm circling around to here, I picked up a trail app that will give me much better maps. Will not only take me to Green's Cave, but Lots of other places. Uh-huh. So, so now I'm going to have to justify it by walking a lot. You know. To- <laughs> okay. It's probably an app. You could probably follow the trail to the right, with your phone. Probably it, it, right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Name yeah. of the app. Yeah. But yeah. good I, things, bad things with it. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Used to. We were just one of one of the worst things I have found about it is that people take photos of their fish where they catch it, right? So they catch a nice big brown trout or a nice smallmouth somewhere, and they take a big picture. But then then when they post it, if you have enough knowledge, you can figure out exactly, exactly where that fish is if they don't have their their phone turned off for location. Exactly. Uh, and, and so he's this guy has gone through all this work. He's caught this big fish and takes a picture of it, <laughs> and he goes back. You know, a couple of weeks later, and there's five guys standing in that hole, 
you know. So he just gave away his location. Same thing would be with deer hunting, you know. Sure. Somebody's taking a picture of a real nice big buck, you know, and and they then they post it online because everybody <laughs> likes to brag. They everybody uh, likes to, likes to say, "Look at me." Look uh-huh. at what I caught. Look at what I saw. Uh-huh. And then they post it online. He goes back to hunt there, and there's four or five guys with pickup trucks that are in that parking lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> same. I, yeah, I think uh, that's happened to me, too, and uh, hope to only get burned once like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Learn your education. But, yeah, pros and cons of the electronics in the outdoors. But uh, I, I don't know. Uh, about you, but a lot of guys, particularly on the lakes, you know, their boats are just look like Christmas trees anymore. They got so many electronics on them. Oh, yeah. I've been in boats with guys that, you know, had ten or $15,000 worth of electronics mm-hmm. on their boats. I, said, I didn't pay that much for my boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I had a client that fishes with me. He he took a trip to Mississippi to fish for, for a big crappie. What was the name? Oh, I can't think of the name of that. Granada? Lake oh, Granada. Yeah, that's over prob- in Mississippi. Yeah, I've been And there. he said they had electronics right there where he was fishing. You could see your jig go down. You could actually see the fish come up and eat the jig with the electronics that they have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that kind of takes the guesswork out of fishing, doesn't it? it Part of the fun really is does. It does. I've... Since all that came out, I've been kind of in a quandary about that. And now, this is a story. I'm not going to mention the guy's name or the lake. But five years ago, I first fished for this young fella. Kind of helped uh, promote his business big time. Myself and a couple other outdoor riders kind of did a media blitz for him. But he had, first time I saw those kind of electronics, it was in February, crappie fishing. We pulled up on, you could see this massive ball of fish, and he, he could tell what they were. He told me they were crappie. He's standing right here, Bill. Watch the screens. As you said, drop that jig down and watch it go right. He told me when to stop it, and you could see this massive ball of crappie. I mean, 18 inches below that jig. He said, move it just as slightly as possible. And I just barely made it quiver. One big slab of a crappie came up and just inhaled that jig. And we stood there and did that over and over and over again. Usually you could catch six, eight, ten fish out of one school. Uh-huh. Doesn't matter. He'd move just maybe 15, 20, 30 yards, find another school, repeat the process. And we circled between three or four schools of crappie for, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes. And we're almost uh, finished with their limits. And a storm came up, blew us off the lake. We left for an hour and a half, came back. Finished catching her crappie, and we drifted a little bit, and I saw a big ball of something dropped in a jig. Huge white bass. I put, oh, man, I want to catch some of these. No, we're not going to mess with white bass. And he said, we're going to catch some walleye. Now, it was cold. I was already about frozen. I thought, well, he'll he's going to roar way up this lake five miles or better, and I'm going to finish freezing to death. He literally moved that boat 150 yards to the edge of a creek bank, and you could see walleye stacked on there like cordwood. First cast, it caught one. Twenty minutes later, all three of us in the boat had a limit of walleye. And, you know, I began to ponder all this. What, what's that going to do to the fish populations? 
That's a good, that's a really, really good question. I don't think anybody knows. Really good question. I don't think anybody knows yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. But I can tell you that same young man is still pulling crappie out of that lake every day he goes. I mean, it, it slows at times, but I remember what's well, been two summers ago, he, he had a corporation come in. He ran 30, 30 crappie fishing trips in one day. 15 in the morning, 15 in the afternoon. 30 in a day? 30 in a day. He had uh, oh my several God. boats helping him, all guys. Uh, all 15 clients caught their lemon of crappie that morning, that afternoon. All but two gentlemen caught their lemons, and they were on two fish short. So virtually 30 lemons of crappie out of one guide service in one day. Uh, I keep... I keep calculating the numbers you know trying to figure out and i follow him consistently all the time they're still doing that just this this week it's cold weather still just limit after limit after limit after limit a lot of those limits caught in 45 minutes to an hour now talking about the electronics he's probably got Last I checked with him, like 2,500 waypoints in his electronics in this lake, and he's built a lot of the brush piles himself, and, wow, he's got X number of places to go, you know, but still, talking about an Ozarks lake that's, you know, a few thousand acres, and he's only one guide. So do the fish recover that quickly? Good food base. It's been going on for years. No sign of slowing up yet. So I don't know. The guides and some of the folks will argue that it's a good thing because we keep removing those fish, less competition for food. But you and I say I'm a river guys. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I know guides on the river that use electronics. I've yeah. seen I've seen individuals yeah. with the fancy kayaks with le- electronics oh, yeah. on them. Yeah. Yeah. I got to ask you: Do you use electronics on the river? I do not. I don't either. I don't. No. I, I don't either. I like that old school business. <laughs> well, I, yeah, maybe that. Maybe that dates me. <laughs> it probably does. I, I think probably it does. does. Yeah. I, yeah. We saw a kayak um, summer before last. A guy came down. He must have had every gadget you could possibly put on it. I, I've never seen a kayak with that much gear on it. I don't know how long it took him. Just to rig up the kayak, you know, to just to to get started fishing, he had five rods. He had five different rods rigged and sitting. Oh, I, I yeah, they know. have rod holders. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he had, they were all rod holders. Yeah, oh, he had them yeah. on. Maybe. rod holders, trolling oh, motors, oh, fish my. finders. Yeah, he had he had a he had a he actually had an inboard motor for on the back of it. Wow, yeah. on a kayak. Yeah, and and electronics. I'm going. Oh my gosh. On a kayak. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of places that some real fast shoots. He actually got out and walked it through, you know, yeah. which is probably a smart thing to do. Oh, I think yeah. so. You wouldn't want to yeah, turn should. that thing upside no, down with all the electronics yeah, on it. Lose all those rods and all that. Electronics uh, would be bad. Quite an investment. Well, Sam, I tell you what, time flies when you're having fun. We need to take just a short break here to hear from some of our today's sponsors. But, folks, don't go away. Sam and I, we may be old. We got some interesting things to talk about. We do. We'll make you think. We'll be right back. 
slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Hussall Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on a beautiful, crystal clear Hussall River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Hussall, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip, whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else. Chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But who's all valley? There's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri, and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Bow Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Tanicomo Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Bow Fishing at 573-263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Sam Potter as much as I have. Sam and I don't get to get together too often. I'm sitting in his home, beautiful place, and uh, we ain't got any GPSs or anything working. I haven't taken any pictures, Sam, so I won't give, I won't give away your location. <laughs> it's pretty easy to find. I mean, there. <laughs> It it's is. on the internet. You, know, uh, yeah. you put somebody's name in and, and the location, you probably get it pretty quick. So. I, I know it'd be hard to hide anymore yeah. w- with it, but this is a gorgeous place. Certainly looks like an outdoorsman's home. I uh, built it that way. Built did it. you build this yourself? Yes. Oh, man, you did a great job. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bit. Well, envious. I didn't actually build I designed it. Yeah. But I was here during the process. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I think uh, every outdoorsman dreams of having a cabin in the woods. You know, of course, I just had a big rustic home in the woods i'm i'm trying to sell i'd sell it to you sam i, I might even trade you even no, no. <laughs> uh, it's hard to leave a great spot but uh hey we were ready to downsize but you know what it, it put me several minutes closer to the merrimack river mm-hmm. i used to be about 15 minutes i'm only four minutes now <laughs> now you're four yeah <laughs> yeah i get there pretty quick but sam in that first session uh, man we were kind of uh, talking about uh, you know all the electronics and the pros and the cons, but we got to talk about something near and dear to our hearts, and that's the Ozark streams. And you and I both are canoers, kayakers, and I guess you you run a drift boat, don't you? I do have a drift boat, and I also have a I also have a canoe. I use it on the on the current river mostly. 
Yeah. 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 Well, I know the rivers are near and dear to you. You spend a lot of time on them and you take a guide a lot of people, of course, but I'm sure that you do a lot of education in, in the process. Well, you know, I was in education, like we said, I said earlier, uh, and I'm still in education. Fly, you know, being a fly fishing guide, you're still educating. Oh, I, but you know, absolutely. I have two students, one or two students at a time instead of a classroom full. Right. Uh, well, I think usually attention span more. is a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> the discipline is a heck of a lot better. Oh, I, yeah, I, good comparison. I would, imagine, I would imagine so. The the thing is, on that person's coming to go on a guided fly fishing trip with you. I mean, the expectations, you know, the anticipation is it's just got to be enormous because you get people come from all over the country and all over the world. And I'm sure a lot of them are, are, are maybe first time people, at least on Ozark streams. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All those, all those are coming. I, I, I get several uh, clients come up out of Texas because just because of our streams that are here, just, it's so unique uh, what we have just right here in our backyard, um, and we have a tendency to take it for granted. But all you have to do is go to different parts of the country and find out what they don't have and it, it, what we have here. Exactly. Uh, you know, if, if you enjoy the outdoors, this this whole area right here is the best place to live. I mean, we're here in the Midwest, so we are insulated from all the controversy that's a nice way to say it that's a nice going on the east coast and the west coast you know absolutely Uh, and and now so much is going on down in the southwest part of the country too i mean we're we're pretty well insulated here what we really are and literally the ozarks you know the missouri arkansas ozarks this is probably correct me if you think i'm wrong the largest block of wild lands between the Appalachians and the Rockies, that would be that would be correct. I, that boy, would be correct. Just yeah. hundreds of thousands of acres, uh, of acres right? Yeah, and we're so fortunate here in the state of Missouri. I brag on the Missouri Department of Conservation all the time. Yeah, because they've just done a tremendous job with their resources here in the state of Missouri. But that's all citizens' backs. Citizens started it. Mm-hmm. Uh, citizens pay the bill. And, but we also have other agencies. Our state park system is just outstanding. Uh, we got the National Park Service. We got the Corps of Engineers. I mean, I bumped heads with them a few times. But still, we are just so blessed to have the natural resources, as you mentioned, right here in our backyard. Mm-hmm. How many rivers can you get to from your home right here south of Rolla, Missouri, in an hour? In an hour, I have nine rivers. So you know right off the top yeah, of your head. I have nine within an hour. Wow. And how many thousands of miles <laughs> of what? I don't know. <laughs> water. Of water. Of water. That I don't I don't know. I don't know. It's just But there are, it's more than you can more than you can fish. Sure. You know. But there's entire river systems that don't have a dam on them here yes. in the Ozarks. Yes. Can we name those yeah. between us? Current River. Um, Gasconade River. Gasconade River. Look at the gas. I think the Gasconade River is the longest continuous river without impoundment on it. Yeah, uh, uh, like three hundred miles in the state of Missouri. I mean, it's, I, I really know it's a, it's a, yeah, it's about three hundred. We miles. were very crooked river. We were up in um, Wisconsin on a smallmouth trip on the 
Wisconsin River, and they were talking about how long it was in the most continuous flow without a dam in the Midwest. But I don't know if Wisconsin considers Missouri as being part of the Midwest, but I have to argue with that because the Gasconade River was a couple of hundred miles longer than what they were oh. claiming to be. But well, I think it was you just let them know we're. I think it was just something to draw kind people of part in. Of I think just advertisement <laughs> yeah. is all it was about. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, Eleven Point River. Eleven Point. Yeah, it starts at West Plains. Yeah. Um, Beautiful river. One of my absolute favorites. I don't get yeah. to it as often as I others, really enjoy Little away. Point. Yeah. I do too. One of my favorite floating rivers yeah. for fishing, float fishing. Deeper holes. Deeper. Much, much deeper. Yeah, there, there are holes in the 11 point where we set an indicator at nine feet. Wow. And you're not touching. <laughs> you don't get many of those. Too no. many of those on the Merrimack. No, no, Or no. the current, at least the it's, upper current. It's, it's Jack's deep, Fork? Deep Fork. Jack's Fork. Jack's Fork is unique. Um, probably the only stream that we have that actually have canyon-type walls uh, like they do out west. It does. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you'd like to almost have to float the upper reaches then in springtime after some snow oh, yeah. melt and mm-hmm. a little bit of rain. Mm-hmm. But you can get a local rain, and portion of that river can come up very quickly. Oh, very, yeah. It, it can be dangerous. Uh, and, again, because of the canyon-type wall, it doesn't have a lot of space to, to spread out, you know, like right. you would on the Piney or the, or the Gasconade or the Merrimack, where it can actually come up and actually do some spreading. You can't do it a whole lot of spreading on the Jack's Fork. It, it, it can come up really, really fast. You better watch your weather when you when you, you go down there. How about sure the Big Piney? No dams on the Big Piney. No dams on the... Oh, yeah, there is one. One. Yeah, at Mill Fort, Hollow? At Fort Leonard Wood. Fort Leonard Wood. On the Big Piney. Oh. Um, yeah. Can, yeah. Can There's you f- a dam there that they, they back the water up and drain water for their water system. Uh, can the public float through Fort Leonard Wood now? Uh, you still have well, to get permission, you, don't you? You you, have, you can't go over that dam, so you right. actually have to get out. As far as I know, they cannot go through. They can go along the edge. They can't go through. Right, right. Well, so that would be like the eight, the east gate right. of Fort Leonard Wood. From there, you're actually floating along the northern, the northeast corner of Fort Leonard Wood. Okay. I've never been through there. I've always started further South. Further down. Yeah. Uh-huh. Some great, great smallmouth fishing, goggle eye fishing as well along there. But that's that's a half a dozen streams we've named that's close to us here with no dams on them. If you want to go east to who's all the curt away, the big river. Merrimack. Merrimack, St. Saint nope. Francis. No dams on St. Francis. Black. Yeah, see, I don't get over that direction. I haven't much. Yeah, I, but I it's down. just the idea of living this close to this many free flowing streams uh-huh. that uh, I don't know of another state anywhere that has what we have to offer here in the state of Missouri. Now, I hope we don't have a big influx of population. People wanting to come in. Uh, oh, I think most of the people that know about it know about it. I don't know. You know, we see an awful lot of, of uh, license plates from Illinois. A lot of people come from Illinois, come here. Absolutely. I a was lot. flabbergasted a few years ago. I was working on some article probably, but found out that uh, most of our tourists the larger percentage come from Illinois. Illinois. They come for food, family, and fellowship, they said. I, I don't know if that's 
huh. floating down the river or oh. seeing Cousin Joe or whatever. But uh, it's uh, pretty interesting that so many people come from Illinois. But you think about it, if you live anywhere just across the Mississippi, you know, two hours, you can be in the Ozarks or less in some some cases. <clears throat> I have to drive four minutes to get to the river. Yeah. Like I said, you know, we a lot of times we we take for granted what we have right here. We do. I I try not to do that, and maybe not as bad as uh, your everyday person because I've worked in the outdoor industry well, for decades, and you have too. So I and we both promote it. it it's on our shirt sleeve all the time. Uh-huh. You know, we're constantly talking about promoting the Ozarks and. In particular, our, our streams, I think that clearly demonstrates how much we care about them. Oh, definitely. definitely. And uh, you are, I think, in a very unique position. And uh, I tell, particularly a lot of the younger guides, you know, when a guide starts guiding, usually because he wants to fish a lot himself. Then that's not that doesn't happen. <laughs> if you're if you're wanting to guide, your your amount of fishing that you're going to get in is going to decrease substantially. That, that that's why there's so much fallout among young guides because they discover that, and it's a it's a lot of work. But the, the young it guides, is it's more work. Oh, it depends. You know, obviously, it depends what you put in it, right? But right. for typically, uh, for me, uh, I have to get the boat ready the the night before, so that usually takes me forty five minutes an hour get everything cleaned up and ready to go um you get up early um, because it takes time to get to where you're going right and then put the boat in but anyway uh most most of the time the day is is going to be a good 12 12 13 hour days that's a long day it's for me uh, anymore. You know, then you got to clean up afterwards. <laughs> oh, right? absolutely. Get ready to go. Of course, I, I've been in some boats that weren't really, really clean before we started. And now they were not cleaned out. I know they weren't cleaned out after we finished. Uh, but I, that's that's individuals. You know, yeah, you're you gonna, don't want to see, you you don't a see my huge boat. range of, of guys and what they oh, do I, and when, I, what they don't do. Absolutely. But uh, I've tried in the last 20 years, particularly with the younger guys, the guys have been in it long enough and going to stick with it and been successful, I try to encourage them and tell them that what they're doing is very important, particularly if they're trying to educate people, trying to teach them to use the resource correctly and to protect that resource because they reach a lot of people. And I think uh, the impact is just tremendous because when you're in a boat with somebody all day long and you get to educate them and teach them fishing techniques and talk about conservation a little bit, talk about how long it takes that smallmouth bass to get up to 18 inches mm-hmm. i think people retain that information and you've no doubt turned them into a a better i'd say even i'd say even a not only a better fisherman but a better human being as far as how they relate to our natural resources i i think um now compared to like say when i was younger much younger <laughs> uh you know when i was at a teenager, you look back, you know, f- several years ago, yeah. 60 years ago, yeah. um, people were actually keep just would keep just about everything they would catch, you know, Absolutely. and you would see tons and tons of pictures of people with huge stringers of fish. And, you know, and um, I can remember people keeping smallmouth bass that were 10 inches long. You'd see them on the stringers. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't, you don't see that as much anymore. I think the, the concept of catch and release, 
um, has really caught on, especially in the last, you know, 25, 30 years. And, um, and maybe before people were keeping them because they, they needed, they needed them to just to survive, you know, they needed the food. And nowadays you see it. So many people just catching, taking pictures and turning fish loose. Exactly. And that's a beautiful thing to see. I first came to this area in 1973 as superintendent of Memorack Spring Park. And that's about the time all the big canoe rentals exploded. You know, mm-hmm. the businesses really took off. But there wasn't much pressure on the upper Merrimack, and I, I got to fish the Merrimack a lot because I lived right in the park. I could walk to the mm-hmm. river. But I remember one Saturday morning. Now, you're going to frown at this, Sam. I didn't do it, but listen to this story. I mean, it was just shortly after daylight, and I encountered an elderly gentleman waiting and fishing. That was for all the regs, throwing a 12-inch natural-colored plastic worm. He had five smallmouth on a stringer, I guess none of them less than three pounds. And I remember just how my heart sank, you know, because I was already in a catch and release. And one of those smallmouth, I would guess four and a half pounds. Huge, but five. I was trying to calculate the years of fish that he was carrying on his stringer. Yes. You know, and they, yeah. were, they were going to the frying pan, no yeah. doubt about it. But yeah. there was, you know, if they were... Ten years each had been fifty years, but uh, that old fish, that four and a half pounder, was wow, ten, twelve years old or more. Yeah, and I just oh, I wanted so bad to ask him to turn those fish loose, but I knew he wasn't going to. You know? Yeah, and he still had one more to catch. So I bet he caught it. But today, I can't remember the last time I saw a smallmouth on a stringer. It's been a while. Yeah, I, I actually, I can't remember. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. It is. Yeah. Well, Sam, we didn't take another break here, man. I'll I tell you what. Uh, I think you and I could talk for days about right. our Ozark streams. Just like chatting to <laughs> anybody. You know, it's, we it's got easy. 15 more minutes. I don't care. <laughs> Let's take a break. Folks, right. don't, don't go away. We'll be right back. we got some more great information coming your way. Bass fishing on the Lake of the Ozarks. Look no further than Big Ed's guide service right there on Lake of the Ozarks. Big Ed Franco has been fishing on Lake of the Ozarks most of his life and has been guiding for almost two decades. I've fished with Big Ed and had a great time. He's a lot of fun and certainly knows where the bass live. You can call Big Ed to make a reservation at 573-692-6710 or go to BigEdsGuideService.com. And on the flip side of his business card is Bass and Baskets. That's bed and breakfast that he and his wife, Deb, also run right on the banks of Lake of the Ozarks. You have a beautiful place to stay, great meals, beautiful outdoor decor, and you can walk right out the front door, get on Ed's bass boat, and head out to fish. You can call for the bed and breakfast at 573-692-6737 or look them up at BassandBaskets.com. Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, where it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Daryl Hyman and crew out of Cuba, Missouri, dedicated to finding you the outdoor property that you've dreamed about all your life, or if you've got one you need to sell, they'll be happy to take care of that and hook you up with a great outdoor customer as well. These guys are famous for getting, listing, and selling 
some of the finest properties in the Midwest. So be sure and get a hold of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, and you could find them at this, I love this, catchy phone number, one 800 by dirt Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I hope you're having as, fun, as much fun as we are. Sam Potter and I have been sitting here in his beautiful home out in the Ozarks and uh, talking all things fly fishing and a little technology, too. We think we're a little behind that department. But, Sam, i got to hand it to you. I think you're right up front when it comes to fly fishing, fly fishing adventures and techniques. And uh, you, you mentioned you were... 75 years old. Is it okay to tell your age? That's all right. <laughs> Too late now. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Do, doesn't I'm, matter. I'm not, on the, I'm not out on the lookout for anybody. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But you've got a lot of water under your belt, a lot of experience, but you've been tied for a long time to an incredible organization called the Ruby Doo Fly Fishers. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd like for you to tell her listening audience a little bit about ruby do fly fish i know a little bit i'm a paid member but i'm not real active i got so many irons in the fire but you've been the heat of things for decades I there think. there are several members that are not active <laughs> <laughs> uh ruby do fly fishers began back um uh early early 90s um it was a group out of actually it started over at uh st robert waynesville areas where so that's where the ruby Doo creek was there right. was their home water it started over there um it has then uh progressed uh, there was a couple of of gentlemen that kind of got it started and we um we have kind of been down, you know, as far as numbers are concerned. I, I think a lot of that had to do with a lot of the people that were involved in it were f- were from the military, with Fort Leonard Wood being in the uh-huh. area. And so, you know, your numbers kind of drop off. Those people transfer and, and, right. and whatnot. You know, they're usually not. They come in and they're there for a, a few years and then they're gone, you know. Right. But anyway, the numbers have, have really gone down. Uh, it had won several several awards earlier, um, and the when the organization is more affiliated with the uh, uh, federal, uh, what is that? Federation, FHF, yeah, Federation of Fly Fishers. Yeah. Federation of Fly Fishers. Um, we meet um, twice a week. Oh, twice a week, twice a month. Huh. We meet on the first. Uh, Tuesday of the month for fly tying. We get together and, you know, tie flies <laughs> and, and tell lies. According, <laughs> according I'd be disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> tie flies and tell lies. Yeah. And then on the um, on the third Tuesday is our meeting, our meeting nights. So right. and we meet at the Bray Conservation Area here uh, east of, or west of, west of Rolla. Yeah, that's yeah. up. Bridge School Road, I yes. think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, School Road. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you m- mentioned awards, not that that's what your organization is all about, but you have a big feather in your cap. You guys have stream team number one. Is that correct? That's correct. That's yeah. correct. That's, that's correct. quite something to be proud about. Uh, I think, how many stream teams are there now? Oh, uh, last I looked, there were over Four thousand. I think it's higher than that now. I think I'm sure it is. I think it's up in the six thousands, if it, I'm not it mistaken. It could very well but be. But what an incredible program! But uh, you guys helped get that started, and I think wasn't Mark Van Patten 
heavily involved in Reproduce yes, back then? Mark Van Patten actually kind of got it started. Um, I was thinking Mark Van Patten, I'm, <laughs> I met Mark, he probably won't even remember this. I met Mark in 1963 or four. I'm wow. sorry, 93, 93 or 94. 94. And at the time, he was he was a used car salesman oh, in, yeah. at, at, in St. Robert. Yeah. Uh, there used to be a fly shop in St. Robert, and I can't remember the name of it, years and years ago. Uh, it was out by the Finch Furniture. There's a little strip mall in there. Mm-hmm. And I, boy, I can't remember the name of it, but that's where I met him in that, in that, in that fly shop. Yeah. Well, Mark is an incredible story. I've told him stories so many times, you know. He actually came from Los Angeles area, I think. Uh, Originally, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, raised, he was raised by his grandparents. Yeah, out south of uh, Lebanon, somewhere out in there. Uh, on wow. the Ruby Doo, anyway. It was on the Ruby Doo, yes. Yeah, his grandparents yeah. were fly fishermen. Mark had been in some gang-related activities at 12 years old uh-huh. and literally hitchhiked to Missouri. Found his grandparents, taught him how to fly fish. Then he gets involved in the Ruby Fly Fishing Club and helps get a stream team started. And it grew so rapidly, the Conservation Federation of Missouri hired him to run that stream team program. Then the Conservation Department, they actually paid for him to get a biology degree in fisheries management, I I guess. Mm -hmm. And he completed that four-year program in like two years. Mark's written some incredible books. Yes. Has taught thousands of people yeah. to fly fish now he's retired down on the current river and works summers for the national park service works for the national park service yeah. yep and now another feather yeah. in his cap uh it's been close to two years ago i nominated mark for inclusion in the national freshwater fishing hall of fame mm-hmm. now just got word about a month ago he's going to be inducted, inducted. Uh, february i think uh, is coming up uh when that induction will be of course the hall of fame is in Wisconsin, and I told Mark, I said, hey, do what I did. I didn't go to Wisconsin. I, I had him present my plaque at uh, Conservation Federation of Missouri annual convention, so I didn't have travel so far. And Mark's racking his brain, I think, trying to decide where he's going to have his presented. Yeah, yeah. But I hope he p- picks a cool spot, and I'm sure he will. But Mark, Mark was encouraged to get into the the natural um you know the the fishing the, not the fishing the the fisheries department into the uh, department of natural resource into that by chuck tryon chuck oh, chuck was a the actually yes. the founder that actually got everything started he and mark were our our founding fathers of of right. the club and it was chuck that encouraged Mark to get out of the car salesman and pushed him in that kind of pushed him in that direction. Well, boy, he got him he, going, and, wow. and Mark said, "Just a super, super job." Uh, he's he's left so much for us to uh, to appreciate. Uh, he really for has. generations, for yeah, generations. and he's still working. That yep. is a cool yep. thing about he's it. A, he's a very giving person. He's really fun. You can sit down and talk to him. He's he, he's, he he's really great, is. Great guy. But yeah. I'll never forget. Gosh, it's been 20 years or more. Our Missouri Outdoor Communicators used to do a float on a big piney every year. We call it a floating bloat. We only floated three miles. We'd stop at a big spring gravel bar. We'd sit there and cook and tell stories all weekend long. It was close to midnight one night. We're still sitting around a campfire. I had literally 
sat on my little camp stool and I cooked a meal for six people around this little fire. Never got off my stool the entire time, you know. I I was pretty well organized, but we got to telling tales and somebody had a scar and somebody asked, you know, what that was from and all of us had scars. We were an old bunch, you know. <laughs> so we're all telling these tales about different Uh-oh. scars we had. Uh-oh. And now we're going into yeah, scar yeah, stories. Yeah. And okay. Man Patton speaks up. He said, well, I got bit by a shark one time. No, you didn't. Everybody's boo- booing him, you know. He pulls up his britches leg, and he's got a little U-shaped scar that's not over inch and a half wide, you know. <laughs> it was a little bitty shark. It was, it was still a shark. <laughs> it was still a shark. <laughs> It still qualifies. Oh my goodness! Oh. It still qualifies. But Mark, yeah, what a what a gentleman! And I watched him. Uh, there's a new business started three or four years ago. A uh, bunch of young people, all the techies, the outdoor business. They sell all kinds of stuff. They're out of Kentucky, but they had come over and stayed in. Uh, Brandon Butler's cabin down on Sinking Creek, and Mark was teaching on fly fishing. And I've never seen this done before. Mark had, I think, three fly rods in each hand, casting six fly rods at once. All of them is smooth as <laughs> butter, you know. Ah, I've never That's seen that. Wow. Pretty impressive, yeah. Huh. Of course, it's uh, he's kind of a mild-mannered gentleman, and he said, I just had to show out a little bit. <laughs> but what a good time. And those folks had a great, great time. Well, Sam, I tell you what, uh, we could talk forever and ever and ever, it seems like. But, hey, just a quick uh, couple-minute wrap-up here on what's going on on Ozark Streams right now. Uh, what can people find if they go out there? Uh, we've had uh, we had a pretty good rain this past week uh, and pushed some of the streams up. The Merrimack, I believe, came up about a foot. Oh, yeah. Uh, according to the gauge at Cook Station. So I'm sure the gauge down downriver is quite a bit more because you get that drainage out of out of, uh, what the heck's that creek? Um, can't even think of the name of it right now. Well, there's Merrimack Spring for no, sure. No. Yeah, well, of course, Merrimack Spring. And it, Benton Creek? I, I'm sorry? Benton Creek? No. That's way upstream. Dry Fork? Dry Fork. Yeah. Yes. I couldn't even think of the name of it. Anyway, yeah. Dry Fork drains a large area right. also. Um, it comes down, you know, out of out of the uh, uh, Salem area. And then part, and part of it, there's a, a branch that comes in over, over here at Rolla. So you're getting quite a bit of drainage from Dry Fork Creek down. Um, but, yeah, that, that river came up. The Little Piney came up a little bit. Um, the current river came up a little bit, but they're, they're, all of those streams now are dropping back down. I'm sure, sure. that the spring, like at Merrimack Spring, is going to be pushing some cloudy water because mm-hmm. uh, uh, it takes time for that water to percolate down through the, the karst and, and come back up. Um, so probably I would guess that the spring is running a little bit cloudy right now, and the river is, is probably running clear as it comes back down. Um, but It'll, yeah, conditions when conditions are low and clear, fishing can be can be pretty tough sometimes. Oh, it really is. Uh, I kind of uh, purposely did not fish the Merrimack all fall and haven't fished it this winter. It was as low salmon as I, I think I've ever seen yeah. it in forty years. Yeah. And I just hated to think about pulling a trout out of that that water. Uh, water temperature surely was up a little bit. I never tested it, but. Uh, boy, just it's pretty there, stressful for just fish. Just there at the park where it, just before it, empt- it hits the river, you could actually walk across. all yeah. the way, You could wade all the way across that. 
Wow. That's how low it was. I haven't seen it that low. I never I never had and I I know quite often I drive down the highway at eight access just to check things, you know, and boy it got down to the point this this summer I just about spit across it. Mm-hmm. Of course, I don't think I can spit as far as I used to either, but <laughs> <laughs> but it it was really skinny. But anyway, I was concerned about it. But I've been checking it this week and down uh, uh, there, like Fagan's Canoe Rental. Boy, it had come up quite a bit with muddy, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's on the way back down, clearing up now. Yeah. I'm anxious to get out there. In fact, last night and early this morning, I've set tying a few ugly flies. I tie the ugliest flies in the world. That's it why I don't matter. Fish, fish don't care what they. They like. don't. They don't. But I've watched you guys a few times, you know, and uh, you guys kind of intimidate me a little bit. You guys are like artists. Oh no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, f- f- fly tying is is kind of you can kind of break it into different categories. There are people that tie flies that don't fish. They just tie it just for the the artistic end of it um and those people that are that good they actually sell those they sell them in shadow boxes um for a lot of money especially the the real fancy flies like the atlantic atlantic salmon flies that use beautiful they they use exotic feathers for those but i mean they're they're pretty to look at (laughs) (laughs) you know you can tie pretty flies all you want fish are gonna you know, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, you I, know. I, I can attest that because I, I oh, I've I've caught I've caught fish on flies fish. that are chewed up. I mean, they oh, don't me look too. anything like they looked when they first started, and the fish are still eating them. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I got to ask you, everybody. You know, a person with your experience, I'll say as mature as as you are in fishing. Uh, if you had to go, I know Everstream, its own entity is different there's you know there's some uh common aquatic insects that you'll probably find in every stream and some streams have insects you know that are just endemic yeah. to that that stream but if you had to walk out to an ozark stream and you could take three flies with you what would they be well, what am i fishing for <laughs> good question <laughs> trout let's go for since we're kind of been talking about trout for trout um well you can't go wrong with a scud because all the all the springs that we have have scuds in them so you can't go wrong with a scud uh and the scuds will be in different colors so you know uh, most common color is a gray kind of a grayish color but you find them that are kind of a lighter color and a more of a tan and some are kind of an olive Mm -hmm. color and then they will turn like a salmon color when they die um so kind of you know you can't go wrong with a scud um almost all of the streams you have have caddis flies in them can't go wrong with a caddis fly either so you have a scud and the caddis and yeah then anything kind of if summertime any kind of uh any kind of a terrestrial work ants or beetles or or hoppers a little bit later in the year different size hoppers are going to be different sizes as they grow well, through throughout the summer so that's a fun part of the season yeah. well, i have to tell you i was out mac spring just a few days ago and i actually picked up several fish on it was probably a number 12 uh, golden stonefly and i don't fish them very often and i was wondering if maybe was, I, I think i'm not sure but i think they're probably uh around more so in the fall 
through the winter? Uh, you you'll find that the, those little sallies uh, you'll you'll get those late summer, early summer, but they're usually we don't have uh, a huge hatch, right? Um, but they're sporadic, right? Uh, kind of like a kind of like a Cahill. We get light Cahills that way. Uh, we have them and they're in the water, but there's not like a huge hatch of them, right. you know, where you get one. Um, and with the yellow stones, I mean, it's yellow. It's going down the water, and the fish will look at it. I don't know if they recognize it as a food source or they just, just want to taste it. See what exactly. It, see if it's something they could, you well, know, that's edible or not. Right. Because, well, it worked that day. That's all. Oh, I'm yeah. Saying. It doesn't matter, does it? It, it really it doesn't does matter not. why they eat it <laughs> as long as they're eating it, right? In fact, that one broke my leader, you know. It was, Pretty decent fish. I was proud of myself anyway. Had a well, had a good time. Good. Well, Sam, boys, it's time to wrap it up here, and I'd like for you, if you would, please, uh, give people your contact information so they get a hold of you. Uh, tightline.biz, B-I-Z, Easy B as in boy, I and Z as in zebra, tightline.biz, and that's all you really need. <laughs> it's uh, If you put that in, it'll be at the top of the Google there you go. And, folks, I'll tell you what, if you want to book a trip with this guy, uh, you better plan ahead. Uh, he stays uh, busy, but also he's retired. He's like me. He likes to take a little time off and probably likes to fish by himself yep, once in a while. I, I, uh, I need to fish occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Sam, thank you so much for being on the program. A lot of good information. I hope that uh, helps people out there. hope you pick up a little bit of business. And, folks, I'd, I'd like to tell you, Sam Potter and myself – we're living our outdoor dreams. We encourage you to get out on an Ozark stream and live some of your outdoor dreams. I'm Bill Cooper. Hey, guys, this is Frank Cox with Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Hey, have you ever considered a career in real estate? If you have, but you don't have your license, this is your opportunity. So each month, the Living the Dream Outdoor Properties team is giving away a free seat to the online training that you need to take in order to get your real estate license. We would love to have you join our team. All you got to do is go to our website, livingthedreamland.com, and then click on the Our Team button, and then click on the one that comes up under that that says Join Our Team. On that page, there's an application form. Just simply fill that out and get in contact with a member of our team, and I'll be giving you a call. We appreciate you, and uh, good luck. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, the Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On the Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. 
At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm, we live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.